Well, good morning for Northeast by Midwest. My name is Jonathan Jones. I'm here with my good friend... Troy and Kona. Oh, yeah. And I have got some news for Troy. But before I do that, you know, what What? what, what do a, a pastor and a school administrator do? Uh, we, we do We do three things. Uh, one of them, we're drinking. What are we drinking right now? Well, we're definitely drinking coffee. And uh, specifically Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts, yep. Um, compliments of uh, my good friend Troy. And I purchased us a couple of... Sausage sandwiches. Now, if you live in Lisbon, the best sausage sandwiches are from where? Oh, uh, the, the uh, Rusty's. Rusty's right? Lantern. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you can't you can't beat Rusty. So shout out to Rusty. Shout out to Duncan. And then we just uh, we do what we do, which is talk about uh, Lisbon Falls Christian Academy and some of our upcoming things for the year, some of our blessings and challenges, and so. Boy, we're all fired up, aren't we? We're ready to roll. Well, we've got plenty of caffeine and plenty of grease. So, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're ready to roll. But uh, we're going to come back. And so this is my news for, for Troy. So I they, they do this thing called wrapping. And it's not wrapping like, you know, like uh, the homies wrap, if you will. Okay? <laughs> or anything like that. This is the kind of... Although I may have been known in my day to listen to a few rap songs here. So you're not going to ask me to rap I because I got... I'm not going to rap either. I know there are people listening to this right now. Going, I got two left feet. Please don't. Please do. I'm not going to. Um, I'm talking about WRAP. And oh. so what they do this thing called rapping where they, they take your podcasts. And if you want, when we get done, I can show you. Anybody else interested. And they, they tell you, like, your most listened to podcast. And I have one podcast from 2022. Actually, we have a podcast that got 216% more views or listens than any others. And it was... Yours truly, Joshua Chamberlain, General Joshua Chamberlain. And, and I have to go back and look at which one it was. I think it was our one where we were actually in the Chamberlain Museum. Um, oh, yeah. Or actually, what, what's it technically called? I always say it wrong. No, it's, Cha- it's, Josh- Cha- yeah, it's Joshua, Joshua okay. Chamberlain Museum. The Joshua yeah. Chamberlain Museum. Sometimes so, I call it the, anyway, his house. But. I was excited. I'll have to send it to you. I thought that was pretty cool. So He always draws a crowd. Yes. So, <laughs> so having said that, we're, we're going to jump right into it. So... How would you like to title this one uh, when it comes to General Joshua Chamberlain? And I know he's not, as we're working through it, he's not general yet, but I'm just trying to use the, yep. the yep. terminology. No, so. he, he is. Well, I mean, it, it, and, and I'm talking to a guy who's been in, in seminary here. If we were going to do a college paper, it would be two sentences long. But uh, this would be a seminary, uh, seminary early professorship would okay. be the boring title. The boring title. Well, in other words, I like fun titles. I know you do, too. So, so. if I title this one, uh, if it's okay with you as the historian here, what if I had titled it General Joshua Chamberlain and the Bowdoin College Years? Would that be a fair title? Yeah, except that's missing the seminary, but yeah. Okay, so, and, and where, so yeah, walk Pre, us through. Uh, Pre-Civil War. Pre-Civil War, okay, so uh, that's probably it, a better. Yeah, okay. this is, our, this so, is he's, he, we're going to talk about him getting married, seminary. Okay. Uh, well, that's not in order. Seminary, marriage, and then uh, early okay. pro- professorship before the war. So to kind of reformat, we'll, we'll, we'll officially title this uh, Joshua Chamberlain, General Josh Chamberlain, and the pre-Civil War years. Yep. Is that fair? The pre-war years. Okay, yep. great. So maybe you can tell us where we were and then take it off uh, because this is a part, honestly, I don't know near what you do, but I feel like I, I purchased Blessed Boyhood. It's a great book. I've kind of gently been working through it. I'm about halfway through. It's one of those books, at least, you know, I like it, uh, but I feel like I have to kind of digest some things and come back to it. And then, you know, we, we've gotten up. I know a little bit about college. I do not know what you know, but I know enough about the Civil War. I always loved him in that. Um, I really don't know much about this at all. So talk to us about where we were and where and where he is now. Well, blessedness, starting off with the Blessed Boyhood, that's, that, 
I was thinking of that because you uh, th- uh, you said in church uh, recently about liking Matthew better than or you preferred Matthew. Uh, Blessed Boyhood, if uh, it's a great little booklet, it, uh, it's not very big, but he he likes the Luke third person thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So he he never's going to talk about himself. So he always talks about himself like he's looking at himself in a mirror. Which which for our he, culture gets confusing. It was really weird. I I almost called you because I that, and I think that's part of the reason why when I started reading it, I decided I'm just going to read about like a chapter every month or so because I got a bunch of other books I'm reading. And man, the first I almost called you because I'm like, who is he talking about? And then all of a sudden, about on page five or six, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. He's talking about himself in the third person. <laughs> so anyway. st- he, it was really hot then so uh, I, I think one of the opening stories is the boy was playing on the Penobscot in the shipyard uh, <laughs> uh, you know that kind of a thing and I remember when I first started reading it I says, who the heck is this boy <laughs> and it's him so in any case no well we've talked about his early years uh, he's from Brewer uh, you know he had he's the eldest he had uh, three brothers and a sister uh, actually the sister was, uh, third old, uh, third oldest counting Chamberlain. So we have Joshua, Horace, Say, or Sarah, John, and Tom, uh, the mother are French and English. The father's, uh, is, is English and the mother is French Huguenot. Mm. Uh, so we talked about his growing up years at Brewer, uh, his boyhood experiences, going to Bowdoin College. Uh, we got him through. Uh, his Bowden years uh, talked about him overcoming a stammer mm-hmm. uh, or a stutter, and which he he talks about in Blessed Boyhood, and we also talked about uh, the wars around the corner. And his junior year, he meets his uh, probably met her before his junior year, but uh, his junior year, the relationship with who would become his wife starts taking off. Uh, uh, Fanny, as she is called, or Francis Carolyn Adams. Mm. Uh, he has a professor uh, that is uh, Dr. Calvin Stowe, Harriet okay. Beecher Stowe. Yep. Uh, they both go to the same church, uh, the Stowe's. The Stowe house is on Federal Street in Brunswick. Bowden owns it. He's over there, and she's writing Uncle Tom's Cabin, and he's hearing it before it's published. Oh, wow. So you, you got to put this all together. Uh, and before the war, there's... Uh, I don't know if we mentioned this or not, but there is uh, to kind of encapsulate this and then we can move forward. Uh, there is a controversy because the Reverend Adams, who is the adopted father of his future wife and a relative, he's uh, a cousin to her father, if I remember right. Okay. Uh, but in any case, the Reverend Adams uh, adopts her very young and uh, she has moved up to Brunswick. And uh, she's, I think, four or five. Uh, she's pre-10 years old when she comes to Brunswick. Mm. And she is very trained in art and music. We probably didn't pay that enough attention, but she gets professional training in art and music. Chamberlain's at college, and she's actually in Portland selling paintings. And he's going to the Stowe House. She comes back her junior year. They're going on date nights to the Stowe House. And then there's a controversy in, in town because the Reverend Adams has had a uh, African American uh, speak from the pulpit, and yeah, this is in the abolitionist years, and it's caused it's caused a stir. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on. The politics is heating up. Wait, um, no, no, hold on there. Politics gets hot sometimes. 
even back in the 19th century. <laughs> yep. So this is not a new thing. So, no. So wait, what you're Nothing saying new is under the sun. why Solomon? That's what I was just going to say. Nothing say. <laughs> new under the sun. Right, so the politics are heating up. And I think where we left off, and, and I, I'm going to retell the story because it's one of my favorites, is Chamberlain is at a crossroads in his life, which he has many. And matter of fact, later in life, he, used, he, he writes, he talks about the cross threads of history is how he puts it. So he's at a crossroads in his life. He's graduating from college. Uh, his, he, uh, his relationship, uh, it's not clear that they've literally set a date yet, but obviously they're, they're uh, getting serious to, to some level as far as he and his uh, fanny. And he decides to go to seminary. But okay. when he graduates from college, he gets the master's oration. Okay. And if I've understood it correctly, he has to give it in Latin. <laughs> oh, okay. And I say that. Uh, they're not always clear when they write about it, but I've looked at I, I've actually looked at the commencement book online in the commencement book. So if you were going to the graduation, what you're getting is in Latin. Right. Uh, so that doesn't it would have done me any good. I had one year of Latin. I think I can read a few prepositional phrases, and if they had the word water on there, I'd be all set. But in any case, he has to give his his oration in Latin, if I've understood this correctly. But either way, uh, we have the title of his address. We don't have his address, but it shows the New England sense of humor because the title of his address is The Last Gladiatorial Show in Rome. <laughs> that is the title of his... Now, he's graduated, I think, at Bowdoin College today, he says he has Nathaniel Hawthorne in the in the crowd. Wow! Uh, so he's got it's a packed house. He said he got nervous, but he summarizes in blessed boyhood that address. And basically, it's uh, I got this one last assignment, mm-hmm. this oration, and I'm out of here. Right. That's the last gladiatorial show in Rome. So, and something else, nothing new under the sun. Uh, students giving valedictorian addresses and everybody's expecting something very grandiose. And I'm sure he had some deep stuff in there, but he's, hey, one more fight in the arena, and if I survive, I'm leaving. And he goes to seminary, and that's where we are. Okay. So where does he go to seminary? Bangor Theological Seminary. Which is now, now let me ask you this. Now that... They have merged with um, New England Bible College, correct? I, uh, I so. think so, and because they, they got something done in Portland, I think they do. And so this is a good. Um, that's a good school. I actually know the guy. I actually spent a couple nights uh, with uh, Pastor Dan Church and his yep. wife, um, and uh, my wife. We, um, I'm forgetting the guy's name. It'll come to me maybe later. But anyway, he ran the school and just passed it over. Um, and uh, the school's doing really well. They're in South Portland. They actually meet at what used to be First Baptist Church of South Portland, or a lot of locals would know it as SOPO. And uh, now it's called Hope uh, Community Church. Oh, yeah, I South heard Portland. it. Yep, yep, yep. 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 So, so, yeah, go, go ahead. Tell us. So, Bangor well, Theological. Bangor Theological, and this, you know, this, this is going back to what we will have already talked about, but I think it's important to bring it back, is there was uh, Chamberlain... Uh, Anybody who knows Chamberlain, the Civil War hero, this kind of comes as a surprise. Chamberlain's actually pretty indecisive. He seems to struggle with what he wants to do. And today, you think about kids going and changing their, their mm-hmm. they, get, they get their masters and then they don't do, or they get their bachelors and they don't, you know, they don't know what they want to do or they change it three times. Chamberlain was pretty indecisive and his father wanted a military career, which is interesting because the war's coming up. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that. 
Uh, the mother always wanted the ministry mm-hmm. as far as that goes. And he definitely has a close relationship with his mother. I'm not saying he doesn't with his father because he. we talked about the, the wagon incident, uh, getting the wagon wheel stuck and his father giving him a life lesson. And he always taught that is the 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 crucible point of his life. Mm-hmm. And so his father plays a very important role, but he definitely has a very close relationship to his mother and she wants the ministry and he leans, he really doesn't know, but he leans on her side. So he decides to go to Bangor Theological Seminary, which is across the river from where he lived. Right. Now, if you go there today and if you're familiar with Bangor, you drive across the bridge from Brewer into Bangor and to do that, you'd go by, they have a little memorial to Chamberlain that looks like a little round top uh, recreation, and you go across the bridge into Bangor, and the old seminary, I, you may know this, I don't know, is on that, whatever that main r- route is, up on a hill. Okay, I don't know. And think there's, there's a big, a group, small group of brick buildings up on a hill. Okay. And uh, th- that's where he went. So, so next time I go to Chick-fil-A in Bangor, yep. I've got to go because I don't think I have seen uh, the... Yep. Uh, okay, that's cool. I don't know what it's used for. It's it's It looks like it's been kept up, so somebody must... They sold it probably. So I can't speak for the other thousands that will listen to this podcast, but for me, as we say on the street, I already done learned me something. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, so he goes to seminary, and, and this is where, you know, unfortunately, uh, there's a new book that's come out, which I've been busy enough. It literally was... Uh, I just got my copy... At uh, at a pre pre press thing, whatever you call it, up at Bowdoin College, and I haven't had a time to read it yet. And I think it was ended November, is around Thanksgiving. Uh, and he supposedly has new stuff on the seminary years. Uh, we don't know a lot about the seminary years. Uh, it, it, the big thing is uh, Fanny goes to New York. Okay. And uh, a short version is she owes money to her father. It wasn't a lot. It was like thirty forty dollars, but back then that was a lot of money. And uh, she's uh, she's three years older than Chamberlain, uh, so he's he's going to Bangor. She goes to New York, and she's taking music lessons okay. uh, with a guy named Root. And I'm going to draw a blank now. If anybody Google's him, he wrote a very popular Civil War ballad that everybody will know if they know anything about that time period. They'll hear the song, and I, I'm going to kick myself because I'm drawing a blank. I think I know what it is, but I don't want to say it and say it wrong. Because uh, there's a couple popular ones, but in any case, so he's very well known. So she's off in New York. He's at Bangor, and they're writing the letters back and forth. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, the the one thing I'm going to say about the the seminary years is, uh, and I'll, unfortunately, I can't go deeper than I'd like to, is he, uh, the author of this book, uh, uh, Ron White, if I remember the name right. Uh, he refers to something I had never heard before. Uh, Chamberlain had like 28 pages of notes from his theology professor hmm. up in seminary or one of the classes. Or, you know, he had this fun, this big notebook. And Chamberlain would write something on the top of every phrase, uh, every, every page. He kept rewriting it. And I'm not going to say what it is because I'm not sure I could repeat it right. But it was something very deep theological about God and, and things like that. And he would write it. So obviously it really impressed him. It, made, it okay. made an impression upon him. And at the end of his life, he found a letter that he was writing to somebody. And he quoted that in the letter. Uh-huh. Okay. And he said he had tweaked it and made it his own, but you could you could clearly see it. I saw the quote, and so the point being is the seminary and you being the seminary can I'm sure it can equate to this. 
had a deep lasting impression on oh, him. Oh, I bet, I bet. And so now that said, during his seminary years, he is very indecisive. He really doesn't know what he wants to do. Okay. Now he, there are all kinds of stories. Some of them, it's, it's hard to know how much of these are concrete, but uh, he, uh, to encapsulate, he, w- he wasn't 100% sure he wanted to be a minister in a church, but he was looking at that. Mm-hmm. He was thinking about this three, I would call it three areas. Uh, you being the min- uh, seminary, you could probably jump in and share uh, something that may help the, the, uh, the audience. But uh, he was looking at possibly being a minister. He was looking at possibly being a academic. Okay. Okay, yeah. so going to seminary and then teaching. Right, yeah. Uh, which, for those who know Chamberlain, obviously he goes kind of that route. Mm-hmm. And then the third was he, there's rumors or thoughts that he was looking at missions. Oh, wow. Okay. And interestingly, one of the areas was the Middle East. Huh. Wow. But you think about everything that's going on over there. Uh, and and it's not immensely clear, but it doesn't sound like that, that was right up Fanny's alley. <clears throat> Uh, she's a Boston background uh, girl. She's not, her name was Adams, uh, supposedly related, but uh, we've never been able to make it concrete. She was on the poor side of the tracks because definitely her family was very, very poor. Mm. And But in any case, she's more socialite side in a sense of the two. He's kind of the country hick from Brewer, and she's from Boston. She's more of the city slicker. Yeah. yeah, she's the city slicker. He's the country mouse. She's the city mouse. And that's uh, the letters we have is she seems to try to redirect him mm-hmm. and she wants him to go to an academics. Mm. And so she's down in Georgia. Uh, uh, she leaves New York, graduates from the music Clara, finishes her music lessons. And uh, this man named Root, who you can look him up, gets her a job down in Milledgeville, Georgia, mm. teaching voice lessons at a girl's school. Huh. And she also has a paying job, and I say it because that's rare even today, as a uh, organist at a church. Okay. Presbyterian, if I remember right. Okay. Now, she's from a congregational background, and Chamberlain's congregational. So she goes down, and she's uh, uh, playing for the church, uh, possibly giving music lessons, and then giving voice lessons, and she's corresponding with Chamberlain at seminary. Hmm. And they're wow. having this big discussion about the future, and he is... Uh, we have 10 letters, and in 10 letters, he gives seven different thoughts about what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And I always joke, she's consonants <clears throat> in the Northern Star, academics. Academics. She wants, him in, she wants him into school. Which he eventually uh, wins out. So I'm curious. Uh, yeah, That's very good with seminary because that's a lot of the same stuff I went through. I knew I kind of wanted to be in the ministry, but it seemed like most, kid, most uh, guys, and there's women in seminary too, that go – is they're either thinking of ministry, you know, maybe it's a camp, maybe it's a church, a 501c3, whatever it is. Um, and then you kind of go from there to sort of like academics. Do I want to teach at a Harvard or Yale, where I went, Baptist Bible Seminary, you know, or Southern or whatever it is, you know, Dallas yep. Theological. Or do I want to go into like mission work? And, and that could be a variety of different things, running like ABWE or IBM, which is the Southern Baptist arm of the, you know, their missions or do I want to go be a missionary? So it's funny how 160, 170 years later, it hadn't changed much. <laughs> well, and, and honestly, I, I, it, I'm glad to hear you say it because I had the same thought. It's like, wow, this sounds very modern. Uh, and, yeah. and we do tend to, the C.S. Lewis thing, chronological snobbery, think of people back then as life being simpler. Uh, but no, not really. And it, a lot of parallels. And he... Um, 
he really struggles with what he wants to do. I bet. And got so just so I know, because I actually don't. How many years is he in seminary? Is he in for four? Uh, he's in three years. He's in three. It's okay. a three-year program. He graduates, yeah, and actually uh, 1848 to 1852 is Bowdoin. Okay. So four years at Bowdoin. So this his, is, we're pushing close to the Civil War by the time he's done that. Oh, yeah, because 1855 he graduates from seminary. Okay. And so, and so, so we're six Civil years away, five years away, yeah. Five, six years away. And definitely it's heating up before that. And, and that just shows you that during this time, I can't remember what year the incident occurs in the church with the speaker, but it just shows you that, that things are, things are building up. And I should know this, but what year, and I don't want to take you too far forward or back, but what year is, um, um, what what year does Harry Beecher Stowe write Uncle Tom's Cabin? Is oh like, yeah, well that's is that like forty eight or fifty one fifty two fifty one? Okay, so so it's about ten years until the Civil War comes upon us. Yeah, after that. Yeah, because but, uh, so so the ovens are really starting to bake. Well, and and that's and that's a, that's a good way to to look at it because if you look at uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin, uh, Calvin Stowe was hired as a theology professor at Bowdoin. Natural, and we talked about this last time, natural and revealed religion, okay. general revelation, special revelation. Yeah. And he is, uh, he is brought in at Bowdoin in 1851. Okay. Chamberlain is a junior. Okay. And she is inspired in George, uh, Reverend Adams' mm-hmm. service. Right. And they have, there's a plaque on the pew in the whole nine yards. And Chamberlain's the choir director. So he likely was... It, he would likely was uh, likely was directing the choir the day that she was inspired, right. and, you know, unless he was sick or something was going on. But in, in eight, so that's 1851, 1852, because she is writing it while he's at Bowdoin. And, uh, and and they have a literary group where they go to her house. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, that's a good backup and look forward. So it shows you that's a it's a decade mm-hmm. before the Civil War and and. Uh, you know, the earth is moving. Okay. The earthquake is is begun. So when we come up, unless there's anything else you want to add seminary-wise, uh, I'll be curious. Maybe I'll have to get this book because I don't know much about it. So now we're, let's say he graduates seminary because we're kind of getting up towards pre-Civil War. So what happens between 55 after seminary and let's say 60-61. So because that, if I'm understanding correctly, that's kind of the timeline we're filling in the gap. Correct. And then we're going to head into, which is probably what most of our people know, and to be totally honest, till I met the you Civil and War. moved up here, is the Civil War. That's yep. how we even know who Chamberlain is. We're fast approaching that. Yeah. And so yep. so what, what, what well, happens Well, I mean, what, what basically happens is this, during the seminary years, uh, you know, from this one notebook statement, obviously the seminary has a profound effect. He's trying to decide what he wants to do. She's trying to direct him into education, which is where he eventually goes. Uh, he, uh, we talked about the Middle East. Uh, there was a new, and maybe there's something, is, maybe it's still out there, I don't know. He talks about a new uh, seminary. He calls it On the West, okay. which is Indiana. <clears throat> I have no idea if there's anything out there, but there was something new that was opening up, and it was like Indiana, if I remember right. Well, the one I can think of is one I almost went to, which is uh, the, the, it's one of the Wesleyan seminaries, uh, Grace Theological. There's one outside of Fort Wayne, um, and then, but I don't know if that would be. Well, it's hard to tell. Anyway. But in any case, he had received uh, Indiana's in my head, and it was if it was in Indiana, it was right near it. But it was Indiana. He'd received a possible offer. There was a new school, okay. and he was looking at going out there. She didn't seem real. Th- 
fond of that. And she kept trying to redirect him to Georgia. Hmm. Uh, there was a, a college opening up down in Georgia. Hmm. And I'm still researching that. I just had a guy come up that he actually worked in the Pentagon, and he was from that area. Okay. And he's on some historical group, and he told me it's some college or, or a school that's still in business down there. Huh. But uh, he said, oh, I know which one you're talking about. So she's employed down there. Okay. And she's trying to get him down there. Now, the funny part is, without going too far into it, she doesn't like the South. Right. She doesn't like the weather at well, all. She wants to get him down there. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, to me, it, it might show something interesting about the motivation of it. and That's a little speculative. But she doesn't like the weather. Mm-hmm. She really, now she's a Boston woman. She does not like the culture. And right. I don't want to offend any Southerners. I've got a, I got a Southern, uh, my daughter-in-law is from Georgia, and she is a peach. And I mean that literally. She is absolutely a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. I don't know that she'll ever hear this, but I love her to death. She's got a great family. Uh, but apparently to the Bostonian, uh, she, wasn't, she wasn't into it. And it probably went both ways. Uh, Georgians, oh, she, well, Georgians probably didn't like they, the Boston. They, they probably found her way too straightforward. They were probably <laughs> packing that can and having yet. Yeah. yeah. So in any case, it, it just shows the interest because she's trying to persuade him down there. And he also, so beyond the missions in Indiana, uh, he talks about, uh, as he's graduating, he talks about uh, he part of the graduation at seminary was to give a series of addresses. I think it was five okay. in churches or sermons, oh, wow. sermons. All right. So he had to go. And I don't know, maybe you could feel it. Is there something similar that they do? Do you have to? Well, that's how I came here. It was an internship. So, I yep. mean, yeah, I'm sure, you know, maybe this was part of one of the requirements. I actually, for several of my classes, had to. You know, it'd be like those of you out there, maybe you're a plumber or uh, you work in data entry or whatever it is. You have certain things to fulfill your course. So my guess would be it was either a ministry requirement, which some seminaries require separately, or a class requirement. They're like, look, you have to teach. So when I came, real quick, when I came on staff here, I was still in seminary. And my I had to preach multiple messages. And this goes to show how old I am. We recorded them on VHS. Do you remember what VHS is? I do. I remember eight tracks. <laughs> Some of you are like, "What?" And and I had to send them back to Pennsylvania to be graded. And part of my grading process was people in the church that would fill out a form. And so I re- I, yeah, I think I filled one yeah, of those out. I think out. you did, and you actually gave me a decent grade. Thank you for that. But anyway, <laughs> it's because some people didn't. <laughs> but my so my guess would be. If Bangor, you know, it's funny, even though we're 170, 165, 180 years, whatever it is, I, my math's a little off, but probably 175 years, the reality is hasn't changed a whole lot. And yeah, it so sounds pretty... The, very, very similar. That's so why I'm learning something here, too, because yeah. I've always wondered that, and I've never asked yeah. you. So, no, I mean, it, my understanding, and I'd have to reread it, and I'm going to asterisk this, because Ron White, I've got my hopes up, this new biography, he supposedly has a whole chapter on the seminary years. And just to let you know, anything I know uh, is, is more from personal research, which I, I haven't found a lot of stuff out there. But the author's prior, the seminary is a paragraph if you're lucky. Yeah. So that's why it, we're, I don't have a lot so of So maybe drill. after you read this, just to say, we may come back with this Ron yeah. White with an addendum where we'll come back and say, here's some more stuff in the seminary. Yeah, and it w- but I think for our conversation, at least already, this piques my interest and gets me extremely more excited about what goes on in the Civil War because you start to understand now, when I think back to some of the conversations we've had, the you know, the stone in the middle of the field where yep. his father says you got to figure out how to move it, you start to understand now, whether it's at Petersburg or whether it's at Gettysburg, why 
why Chamberlain was the way he was because he, he's a know, very he, he's a very stubborn and it's it's a cart stuck in a it's yeah. his the cart stuck on a tree stump. So I was going to say this but, for the end, but I want to throw this out to you and yep. you have full. Do you think the word tenacious would be a word that we could use to describe General Chamberlain? Not in the sense of because I think there's probably two senses of that. Not in the sense where he was like um, extremely aggressive, but more in the sense where. I think of where I grew up, uh, wolverines were known as tenacious. They could take down bears. Yep. Because, and, and so in that sense where, like, he was just going to keep coming. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, he, you know, if he, yeah, and I don't know much about wolverines, so maybe that would be a good analogy. But if you were to compare it to an animal in Maine that I'm familiar with, you know, I, I'd say, he, you know, he's a bulldog. He yeah. latches on to something. He's or not like gonna, a fisher. Or if, yeah. He latches on to something. He's not going to let go. He's very... Uh, I would say the classic main stubborn, uh, yeah. and, and it just depends on what your view is of what he's doing. He's stubborn can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing, but he, he's very tenacious, very tenacious is a good word. Um, but as he, he has, my understanding was the seminary is a requirement for graduation. If I've understood it right. And that's why I'm putting an asterisk. We'll see uh, what Ron White says, but uh, he uh, he gives the five addresses. Later in life, he's down in York. He doesn't really say, if I remember right, where the places were. But later in life, he's down in York, very late in life. And he talks about, uh, at a church down there, and he talks about years ago, uh, I, I gave a message at your church. Hmm. And as many of you are probably glad, I never stayed in, in ministry. Now, that you got to know Chamberlain. Knowing Chamberlain, it was... I always heard he was a very good speaker. I think that's him being a little down east funny. But he, he makes fun of his early efforts. Uh, but in any case, so he, he speaks in about five different churches. Okay. Uh, he starts fielding offers. Uh, he talks about one down near Lake Winnipesaukee. Oh, wow. And I don't remember the town. So he has the Indiana thing. He's got the Middle East, which I don't know how serious that was, and or the missions. And then he's speaking at various churches. Now, at that time, and then we kind of jump forward, uh, the post-seminary years, he is applying for his master's. Okay. Now, this is where there's some confusion. And uh, somebody might listen to this and say, well, that's not how I heard it. The confusion part is if you're not careful with the, how you read what people say or who's talking, it sounds like he gets his master's from seminary. He does not. Ah. He gets his theology degree. I don't know what they called it in his day, but he gets his seminary degree. I'll just say it that way. He does not get his master's from seminary. He gets his master's from Bowdoin. Ah, okay. So what happens is he is trying to wrap things up. Fanny is coming back north because she's coming back to see him graduate from seminary. Okay. And also, I think she's there for for what's going to happen with Bowdoin. He, Bowdoin's masters, it was different, way different than today. Uh, there was like a tick box thing of you had the show uh, that you had applied whatever you had learned previously for your bachelor's that you have, were moving forward, which the seminary would have fulfilled that obligation uh, and his future plans. Uh, you had a couple other things you had to do, and then you had to give a second oration. Mm. <clears throat> now, Chamberlain, and you could probably appreciate this, Chamberlain is trying to wrap up and graduate from seminary, mm -hmm. which uh, I don't know a lot about what that looked like back in that day. But he, so he's been giving five, he's had to write five addresses. I don't know if it was the same one or if he had one or two. I don't know what the requirements were there. The, again, Ron White may, may do that. But he's been really busy. Well, he's supposed to give a 
separate oration at Bowdoin, and he gets special permission to use something he did at seminary. Okay. And my understanding is they gave him an exception. Okay. So he could, because he was busy. Mm-hmm. So he goes back to the first parish church down at, down in Brunswick, and he gives a second oration. I don't remember if he gives the title of it, uh, but basically this is a sermon. Okay. Okay. Now, the, the last time he was at Bowdoin is the last gladiatorial show in Rome. Right. All right. This is more serious. Right. Now, he speaks at Bowdoin, and it was a very patriotic theme, whatever it was, which we're coming to the Civil War. Right. All right. And the theme of it was very patriotic. It was a kind of a God and country kind of a thing. And he wows the faculty at Bowdoin College. Okay. So they offer him a job. <clears throat> now, he begins teaching at Bowdoin that fall. And now we're, this would be the, the fall semester of 1855, and he marries December 7th, 1855. Okay. He marries Fanny. So just for history's sake, yep. our church charter started in 1856, which I've always wondered if he ever spoke here. Um, I don't know. I uh, Our records are extremely spotty. bleak. Yeah, spotty at best. Um, but yeah, so, so just to give those of you that maybe from the church that would listen... You know, we're a hundred and, well, doing the math, what is that, 140, 60, yeah, so we're, we're, we're pushing 170 years, actually, yeah, about yeah. 170. Wouldn't seven. it be funny if, if they ever caught wind of him and they were trying to get him, to, uh, uh, I, yeah. I, I don't think that's the case, I've never heard him talk about Lisbon Falls, but yeah. in, in any case, you know, that's an interesting, yeah. so that's right in, in, the, in, the, in the same boat. So he goes to Bowdoin College, and he begins teaching, uh, for, uh, natural and revealed religion, okay. what Calvin So did. Right. Calvin So's gone. He was only there 1851, 1852. When Chamberlain graduated, Stowe left that year. Okay. So he, this is 1855, it's three years later, and he's now teaching natural, he's teaching theology. Right. So he's he's in the theology department of Bowdoin, which Bowdoin would be heavy, just as a quick recap. They're doing, uh, they're training pastors, politicians, lawyers, uh, anybody who speaks uh, liberal arts, rhetoric, oratory, languages, mm-hmm. uh, religion. Yeah. Uh, so that is their emphasis, way different than the Bowdoin today in, in that sense. And so he is uh, he, he is very passionate about rhetoric and oratory, but he's, he obviously is a seminary student, so he's teaching mm-hmm. natural real, revealable religion. Uh, he and... Uh, now, it, it, he... Uh, the exact order of events I'm not as familiar with, but he, he starts getting into language pretty quick. He's doing okay. freshman Greek, okay. I've been told, in Latin. which He's again, teaching it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which in the seminary, obviously theology, especially in his day, and I'm sure it's even the same today. Oh, yeah. That's, that's all, this is all knit together, so you can almost see probably how that's all happening because he's teaching theology, natural and revealed religion, and then he's dabbling with with Greek and Latin, he would have he would have done Aramaic, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously a lot of the Old Testament is Aramaic and right. things like that. So he's he's starting to finger into the languages, and this becomes very important as we get closer to the Civil War, uh, because Bowdoin has a crisis, and I'm okay. being a little melodramatic, but the the one of the most prestigious positions, matter of fact, what I've always been told, it's one of the highest paid positions in its day was the professor of modern European language. Oh, really? Okay. Yep. So they had lost their, and I don't remember why or what happened, but they had lost their their professor of modern European language. And 
there is, uh, and I think we kind of fingered into this a little bit before, uh, there is a political uh, debate brewing in, at Bowdoin, or a political religious debate. Uh, quick hit, I do not claim to be uh, an expert on Bowdoin history, but they're founded late 1700s, 1790s, early mid-1790s. And uh, they are not in the vein of uh, the religious schools. In other words, they weren't founded by a church. They're right. actually state of Massachusetts. Right. So Maine history, Maine, uh, when they're founded, is run by Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And Massachusetts is organizing Maine. Now, uh, another story for another day, we ought to do a pod- podcast on Maine history because Maine got its start. Well, Maine, Massachusetts bought Maine. Right. Which Chamberlain in his day, it, it's funny, later in life, maybe we'll, we can talk about it, an address he gives. He really pings on uh, using a biblical analogy of Jacob and Esau. And he basically says Maine is Esau and and Massachusetts is Jacob and they stole the Maine's birthright. Right. So he, he, I mean, he's being funny. You have to read him. He's also very gracious to Massachusetts because they're bringing Maine out of a very dark period of time. Uh, and in any case, uh, he, um, so Massachusetts uh, founds Bowdoin College, but... The Congregational Church was very ingrained in, in mm. Bowdoin College. They donated a lot of money. So there is there is that aspect where they had a lot to say, and you had the start of the Unitarian <clears throat> movement. Right. Okay? So I don't know which is which, but this is important with Chamberlain, because he literally says he got in he, he, he got in the middle of a no-man's land, because they have trustees and overseers. Okay. And one side was leaning Unitarian and one side was leaning Congregational. Okay. Okay? So not a religious college, but obviously there's there's money coming in. And there was a political debate, and maybe this happens today, I don't know, I would imagine it probably does, over who this candidate, religiously speaking, what denomination is well, he sure. going to be? The Congregationals want the Congregational, the Unitarians yeah. want... Yeah, and because this is a big position as far as they're concerned. And... And uh, they can't agree. The Unitarians want a Unitarian. The Congregational want a Congregational. Well, imagine church is not agreeing. Uh, I can't, can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, like I said, nothing new under the sun. So in, in any case, Chamberlain gets in the middle of this. And this is, to me, a really important part about this because you know, this is a big piece of how he gets in the Civil War, Okay, what we're talking about. Uh, at some point in time, uh, all this is going on, and he's teaching natural religion. Somebody in the, these meetings says, "Hey, we got a guy already here. How about Chamberlain?" Hmm. Now, this was coming. From, uh, if I'm understanding it right, it was coming from the congregational side. So, and I don't remember trustees or overseas. I don't remember which was leading which way. And their argument was, "He's already here. So, let's have him do it." And now he's newly married, and he. There's so a, how old is he now? Twenty five. Well, he's born eighteen twenty eight, and so we got. We're, we're talking here. He's teaching at uh, Bowdoin College, eighteen fifty five. So this is, and this happens in the first two. So about eighteen fifty eight. So he's he's about early thirties. He, he's getting late late twenties, early thirties, depending yeah. on exactly what year this happens. So we'll say thirty. Okay. Thirty uh, ish. Uh, so, but he's, you know, you got to realize he was 20 when he went to college. Right. And four years at college, three years at seminary. Right. So he's newly married and uh, there's a lot of pluses to this. He's, he's going to get him. 
he's at this early on he was not a full professor and i can't remember the, they use the same terms today i can't remember what it is he was a yeah i don't have to think of it myself yeah but, yeah. but he was an he, assistant professor or something like that yeah and so this was going to be this was going to implant him whatever their college term is as into the program now the unitarians kind of my take on at least the way chamberlain says is unitarians and we're getting this from chamberlain's perspective uh, <clears throat> Unitarians kind of push back initially because they see this as, as a chess move. Now, the congregational side argument is he already works here. Mm-hmm. He already approved him. And so all we're doing is shifting him. Mm-hmm. You can all see, you know, we've all been in the board meetings and debates about things. We, we've already approved him. All we got to do is segue him over into this position. Mm-hmm. Well, the Unitarians are, they're warm to it, but they're a little like, eh. Well, Chamberlain, uh, at this point, he has moved on, and I'm not sure if he was still teaching natural and revealed religion, or uh, he, uh, he picked up a second class, or if he was uh, moved to the second class, but he's now teaching rhetoric and oratory. Okay, gotcha. Okay, well, this is his happy place. Right. And this is funny because this is the boy who had the stuttering problem, and he had trouble communicating even up to his college years. And he really has, he, he's hit it to his own... And according to what we've heard, uh, as a professor of rhetoric and oratory, he was, he was rewriting it. Hmm. In other words, they were, and you might even appreciate this to some degree, because they were very classical Greek mm-hmm. rhetoric and oratory. Yeah. So they were, they were going very old. The Greek rhetoric and oratory was ingrained into the 19th century. Right. And Chamberlain wasn't necessarily trying to move away from that, but he was trying to up the uh, up the the mark a little bit, and he also has a little more. Uh, and, and you being in, in seminary might be able to help the audience out here. He he's a little more personal as a professor than the traditional Bowden guy. Right. Yeah, he so. he actually will hang out with the boys, so to speak. Yeah. So he's he's got a different kind of a outlook, and he's looked at. Well, he wasn't raised in academia, no. and so I I think he's kind of the perfect example. You have people that they're raised in it, and doesn't mean they're not good at what they do. We see this all the time in politics these days, right? You've got people who are career politicians, some good, some <laughs> – anyway, we'll leave that where it is. And it's the same thing in academia, right? So he's probably like the common man's man yep. where people are looking at him from two angles. One, I would imagine going, hey, I can do that even though I was raised as a plowboy, yep. right, or a plumber or whatever it is. And other people going, all right, there are normal people out there that are really intelligent. Yeah, you bet there are. <laughs> yep. Well, so, I mean, he's, yeah, exactly. So he's loving the rhetoric and oratory. Now, to put, again, you got to keep in mind is this is the boy that he always used to be introverted, mm-hmm. which is probably connected to his stutter and stammer. Mm-hmm. But he, he, his brothers are described as being more outgoing the younger they get. Mm-hmm. Tom is really outgoing. Uh, but they're all, and Chamberlain is the oldest, and he's very reserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's starting to come into, Chamberlain is starting to develop, and he's loving rhetoric and oratory. And he's writing to the family, and he, uh, and again, a joke about uh, religion and in politics, he's feeling the, the, the mix of religion and politics. He feels like he's being shoehorned into this position of modern European language. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've lost the significance of rhetoric and oratory, and his day was pretty important. And we have a letter that's coming from Horace, his brother Horace, who's the next oldest, mm-hmm. that is telling his brother Chamberlain is saying to the family, I don't want this job. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of being told, you're going to take it. And it, it's going to be more money. He would get a two-year sabbatical to go to Europe to further his studies mm-hmm. in language. Mm-hmm. 
And he already can, at this point, it's not clear how many he can speak at this point, but he's probably upwards of six to eight easy languages that he can speak and communicate in and write in. And so he already has it, but he can, and Longfellow did the same thing. Longfellow was a professor of rhetoric and oratory, uh, I'm sorry, language at Bowdoin in the 1830s. Uh, he graduated 1825, early 1830s. So he would be going into uh, the position of Longfellow, who was very famous. He'd go to Europe. He could bring his wife to Europe. His wife was more uh, social in that aspect, and she was very into it. So it seems like a perfect fit. But he doesn't want to do it because rhetoric and oratory is a manly calling. Right. Okay. Very, very important. Language is language. He loves language, obviously, but this is where I need to be. And Horace tells him, don't do it. <laughs> don't take the position of language. He And I can't remember the term he uses, but basically Horace says, it's, rhetoric and oratory is a noble calling. Right. Because you teach men how to communicate. Right. And in their culture, uh, as one person was explaining it to me, uh, he was taught more how to speak than how to write. Right. And that's why, now that doesn't mean he can't write, but they say when you read him, that's why he reads hard. Mm-hmm. Because he was trained to communicate, and you as a pastor would appreciate this. Right. There's a difference between preaching your sermon, right? and I don't know what you do. I know some ministers, they write their sermon, right. and then you, you read it or, right. read, or give it. Uh, there's a difference in, in speaking and writing and how you communicate, and Chamberlain is trained to speak. Right. So uh, this is a noble calling. Horses don't do it. And Chamberlain, I, I forget the exact period of time. It's like two or three years that this goes on. So this is like 55 to 58, yeah. give or take? Okay. Yeah, roughly. Uh, it begins not immediately. It begins 56, 57. But he hasn't taken the position yet. No, he He's fights it. He's the pressure. 58, and uh, I'm going to go look at Blessed Boyhood when I get home, and I, we can talk about it next time if I'm off. But I want to say 58 or 59 is he finally caves. The oh, walls okay. of Jericho come down. Yeah, because I, the only thing I remember is in the movie Gettysburg, he actually says, whether he said it or not, I don't know, but that's the Hollywood version. He says, I'm a professor of writing or, or rhetoric and something. I can't remember how it's said, but I yeah. remember that line because it's like one of those lines in the movie, and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, and he, he also communicates at one point in the movie Gettysburg about being uh, having been a professor of religion to Hancock. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, and it, and it's not it's not totally clear that to some degree some of these professors they had dual. Okay. So I don't you know he was teaching sometimes more than one class at one time. So in any case you know kind of wrapping things up he he takes he takes the job, and here's where the, and we're setting it up for the for the next segment. Uh, we're at a or a, a good stopping point because he accepts the position of modern European language, and he now has a two year sabbatical. <laughs> And, the, and at this point, by the time this all settles into play, it's about 1860, 1861. I wonder if anything big happens in history. Yeah. <laughs> now, Chamberlain, Chamberlain is at a crossroads because he's feeling the pull. So let me ask you a quick question, if you don't mind. Nope. Yep. Are you saying that as he gets ready for the war... That he's on sabbatical, or and he's like literally just finishing, or you're not sure. He no, he had no, he hasn't started. That he's, he's okay. been teaching, so he's getting ready for. So in theory, he would have had a sabbatical in the first couple of years of the war. Yeah, it'd be yeah. like you accepting a new job and being told you have six weeks vacation and you okay. can take it whenever you want. 
Uh, yeah, but you got to start working first. And so he he's he's teaching. So he's teaching immediately. Yeah, he's teaching because he did teach modern European language. Okay. But he's got this two-year sabbatical, but he has to obviously arrange it. Right. Because it would mean him being away from school for two years. Uh, now, this is this is where we get a little bit of a character moment. Because if you read Blessed Boyhood and you really pay attention to what his – he's very idealistic. He dreams of travel. One of his – we, we uh, kids today might say – uh, uh, Superman is their hero. You know, uh, superheroes are are big right now with uh, the Avengers and Marvel and all that stuff. Chamberlain's heroes were early explorers, mm-hmm. like Lewis and Clark, or you know. Lewis and Clark. Uh, you know, any of the uh, Christopher Col- Columbus, Columbus, yeah, you know, guys like that. So, because he talks about that, and he dreams of going to Europe. Huh. Okay, so this sounds like okay. What is going on here? Because this shows. This would be like, picture whatever fun thing you like to do most, and you saying, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to go to war. Mm-hmm. Okay, that really shows you yeah. how important that is. Sure. Okay, so he's, he's at that crossroads because he's feeling the tug. Now, we're, we're, we're fast approaching about 1862 because he, uh, 1862, he enlists. Mm-hmm. And he, because he's at Antietam, which is August, if I remember right. So um, the war, when he enlists, and I know we're going to pick up that next time. Yeah. The war's been going on, what, six months? It's, well, so, uh, so Fort, I mean, Fort Sumner happened. is 1861. Okay. And then, so he comes in after Bull Run, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because he's, he's at Antietam. Uh, he, the, his first experience is Antietam. Which is really the first big, and most people believe, the bloodiest battle. It's the bloodiest day in American history. Yeah. Even D-Day is, is not as big as... is. Is Antietam is I forget what the number is I want to say it's twenty eight thousand oh, on it, both sides. It was brutal. in one day. It was brutal. Yeah, uh, that's a Even one day. worse than Gettysburg. Right? Well, yeah, for one day. For one uh, day. Gettysburg has got fifty to sixty thousand or whatever spread over three days. But it's three yeah. days. Yeah. Uh, this is twenty eight thousand in one day, and I don't remember what D Day was, but it wasn't anywhere. No, I think it was that. like maybe fifteen thousand. Which I was is thinking, still crazy when you think of those kind of numbers, but still, yeah. You know, so yeah. that yeah, to to so uh, to kind of as we're we're wrapping things up here, he um, he takes a position. He's teaching modern European language. Uh, he during this time, and maybe we can dive into this a little bit more as we get in the Civil War years. Uh, they've bought their first house, eighteen fifty nine. Okay. okay, so which is where. The Chamberlain where, where House. Where we've been, Chamberlain yeah. House. Yeah. So it's very likely, I'm not, actually surprised I never really thought about this, the new job in the Rays may have been partially the motivation we can now afford that house. Yeah. Okay? So he, he you know, because uh, that's pretty close. It's 1858, 1859 is mm-hmm. when he, he, some have placed the purchase of the house late 1858 or early 1859 or somewhere. But I usually say 1859. So, uh, and he's basically in modern European language. He's got a raise. He's got a two-year sabbatical. Life is looking pretty good. Uh, and he decides he's going to enlist. Uh, and and this, is, this is where it gets to an interesting point uh, because Dad has always wanted a military career. <laughs> oh, boy. And Dad tells Chamberlain, this is not our war. Right. <laughs> this well, is, of course, who wants their son to go? Well, right? and this is, as a dad, I've been there. Be careful what you tell your kid. Mm-hmm. Because someday they may take you up on the offer, and you look at what you've, and it's like, oh. Now, and I liken this to, I was raised in the era that a lot of kids were going 
ROTC or going in the military because uh, they would pay for college, right? Mm-hmm. And and I almost fell into this category because I was uh, not seriously. We're not going to war. We haven't been at war for I don't know how long. All I got to do is go do a two-year stint and I can get out. And then they're going to do the GI Bill and then I can go to Liberty or I can go do whatever I want. Well, again, nothing new under the sun. Uh, I don't I don't know what his father was thinking, but his father was always leaning towards a military career because he went to Major Whiting's Military Academy as a, like a 10, 12-year-old or something like that mm-hmm. for a very brief period of time. And now the war is on, mm-hmm. and his father's going, no, don't go. This isn't our war. And and a lot of people today have trouble understanding that, and anybody who's a true Mena right. will, if I know some people even today that have never been south of Portland. Right. And literally, I, I worked with somebody. He had never been south of Portland. And when you talk about South Carolina, you might as well be talking about Pluto. Yeah. I mean, because, uh, yeah, I've heard of it. <laughs> he would say. Never going there. Uh, I'm not. Go- I have no reason to. So I think to his father, this literally was like, this would be the equivalent of saying, I'm enlisting to go fight in the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, all right. This has nothing to do with us. Right. It's not our war. We're Mainers. Because you're in the era of American history where the state was your nation, as Lee would say. Right. Uh, my state, it, Virginia, is my nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't agree with everything Virginia was doing, but he couldn't fight against his state. Mm-hmm. So Chamberlain is, is at that point, and he is starting to approach. And I'm kind of looking at the time. I think that's a, it's a good pickup point for the next time is he is going to reach out to the governor. I'm going to have a cliffhanger. He's going to reach out to the governor. Okay. And we're not 100% sure. There's a debate on how much Fannie knew about the, all of this. Oh, boy. So I don't know if you've ever done this where you, you sometimes you get the cart before the horse and you forget to kind of dot the I's and cross the T's. And you also have to add, I don't know, I'm, I'm, some people say, well, you're defending him. No, I'm not. You have to understand the culture because back in that time period, they weren't always talking to their wives about everything you do. Right. I, I wouldn't dream of changing jobs right now, without, or let alone enlisting, without having a conversation with my wife because it wouldn't be a good move. And neither would I, but you've also been married for how many years? Uh, well, I've been married long enough. It's, uh, it's 40. So Yeah, and, and we're working on 23. And yeah. so no offense to General Chamberlain, who's much wiser than I, but he was probably married what? Less than five years, and uh, I did some pretty stupid things in my first couple of years of marriage. <laughs> we get, well, I'm not saying he did something stupid here. No, my really, point no. Is it's, wisdom teaches you some lessons. Usually, what I tell people, I've had some people push back and say that was pretty callous to him, right? And say, well, yeah, yeah. but you're looking at this 21st century, and yeah. plus, you got to look at this as a young married person, yep. and also in the 19th century, in which. The husband tended to make financial business decisions. And he's coming into his own. And when I say, and please, no one take any offense, I'm not saying this was a stupid decision on this part. My point is, I'm speaking for myself. And I would agree and with When you. I look back at my first 10 years of marriage, I made a lot of, maybe the way to say it would be, not the wisest of decisions. And so I'm not suggesting that with him. It's just a reality. When Most of us, when we hit around 30, I don't think it's accidental. Jesus wanted a ministry at 30. That you, you really, whether you do or don't, you tend to grow up pretty quick. And I think we're, in a lot of ways, we're watching a, a guy who went from blessed boyhood becoming literally a man. He's married, making decisions, and now he's got to make the decision none because of us now, wants to make. Now do you he go is, to war? 
Yeah, now wants, he is early 30s. And let's be honest, who wants to go to war? I don't think anybody in their right mind ever wants to go to war. No. But sometimes it's inevitable. Well, and, and this is why I think it's a good wrap-up point, and then we can talk about, we can talk about his, because the story of how he enlists is actually fascinating. It, okay. it, it really shows, it, Chamberlain's now, he's a man, he, he's, he, and he's early 30s. Uh, you know, we uh, next time kind of setting things up. He's an old boy hmm. in the war. Right. He's probably, uh, what, 32, 33? Well, he's, yeah, because he lists 1862, uh, and so that would put him, his 35. birthday's in the fall. Yeah. Well, that puts him, he's born 1828, so that puts him, like, 30, close to 32. Yeah, 33. And, and if you, th- you know, uh, he lists just before his birthday. But uh, to the likeness, and I'll share this uh, next time, there's a story of a Durham boy that I've researched that I'm fascinated with that tried to enlist when he was 17, and I know another one that was 16. So, you know, the Army is, at this point, is full, and today is the same way, of 18, 19, 20-year-olds. Yeah. yeah, he's old enough to be the father of a lot of Oh, good night, yeah. He's probably... So literally, when he goes in, and this all comes into play with his rank uh, and all that stuff, but that that's a very fascinating period uh, but it, this is a crucible point, and I, and I want to reemphasize. Uh, you'll hear historians say that he didn't tell his wife. Uh, I, I'm willing to say that he probably didn't tell his wife. I don't, but I don't know that he did. We don't. It's not like we have a letter that says to his to his family or anybody that he says I did this and didn't tell my wife. Right. Uh, this is. It's not really clear. It, it doesn't look like he probably communicated very well, but he might have said something to her. Mm-hmm. She may have been aware of it, uh, and we'll we'll talk all about that next time. But he, um, uh, that's the the wars the wars on. Yeah, it is, and so that kind of uh, we're almost out of time, which is good, and uh, we so we kind of officially call this General Joshua Chamberlain, and. The seminary and pre-war years. Does that sound yep. fair? Yep. And so next time when we come back, we're going to have the enlistment and we're going to go to war. And uh, We're going to war. We'll, we'll start right with his... And with we'll his... probably, I would imagine, spend a couple of episodes, I would think. Uh, you, you could probably spend a whole episode just on Gettysburg. But uh, I'll leave that up to you. But I'm guessing we'll probably have a we, couple of episodes. We can probably do the war in two. Yeah. Uh, and maybe we can do it one. I don't know. I mean... And, 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 if, and this is fair, real quick. we got about a, a minute here before we close up. I think the part of Chamberlain that most interested me when I went through the museum was the boyhood and actually his after-war years. And you've got some incredible stories because a lot of people know just getting us ready, you know, he was a governor. And he went and and he was he had he set some records as a governor here for things that he did in our state. And so I'm excited about moving forward as we picture that. So any final words for today? No, well, it, it, to me, the, the, the college years, some people who's listening say, well, I haven't talked much about the family. We'll, we'll dive in a little bit about, because by this point, he's got children. We'll talk about that. There's some sad stories there. Uh, that's a good setup for his, to keep in mind during his enlistment. But Chamberlain's college years, uh, I, I would end it with this way, something we haven't explored fully. I've heard some people say, and I would agree with them, that Chamberlain may have been another Hawthorne or a Longfellow if, if the war hadn't opened up. Okay, gotcha. So in other words, he may not have been as famous as Longfellow or Hawthorne, mm-hmm. but he likely, he was so academic, and we need to keep this in mind, so academic, 
that and he is definitely a romantic in how his style of writing mm-hmm. that he could I've often wondered what would have happened if he yeah. hadn't enlisted but the, the war changes his life right and uh, that's <clears throat> that to me is something that you have to keep that in the back of your mind which is why I appreciate for those who watch Gettysburg oh yeah the conversation with Hancock absolutely uh, because it really he is the academic awesome well thank you so much again Troy and we're gonna finish up because if we don't we're almost out of time which is great we got 30 seconds we got 30 seconds so no that's you know it's a great reminder isn't it and i say this to people a lot of times the way forward so often is actually to look back yeah doesn't mean we go back but we look back and i think chamberlain reminds us of that well thank you and uh for northeast by midwest i am with troy ancona my name is jonathan jones we'll come back next time for chamberlain enlisting and war